to Hope Awakens. I'm your host, Rebecca. So glad that you've joined us for another exciting episode of this eye-opening series. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're on Program 8. Well, wasn't the last program, Rest and Recovery, a great help in daily living? I just love the idea that God takes out a whole day out of His incredibly busy schedule of caring for the entire universe to spend time with me. What an awesome and amazing God. I'm really fascinated by tonight's topic, going it alone. But before we do that, let's hand over to Robbie for some more questions. Robbie, what do you have for us tonight? Yes, Rebecca, we've got a number of really good questions tonight. Our first question is, John said that the Lord's Day was the seventh day Sabbath. Isn't the Lord's Day Sunday? That's a very good question. If we look at where this comes from in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, it reads this way. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. This verse does not actually say anything about the Lord's Day being Sunday. So let's compare this with what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath day. Or we can put it this way, that the Lord's day is the Sabbath day. Now, what day is the Sabbath day? Well, we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So the Lord's day is called the Sabbath in the Bible, which is what Jesus also calls his day. So the Lord's day is the Sabbath day or the seventh day. Our next question says, I can see God rested on the seventh day after creation, but I didn't think any humans kept the Sabbath till the Ten Commandments were given. Another great question and a common question. You know, it's interesting because the account of the giving of the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus chapter 20. But four chapters before that experience in chapter 16, we read a remarkable story about the children of Israel asking for food. So God gives them this thing called manna. But there was a unique pattern for the giving of this manna. It would fall every day of the week, but on Friday it would fall double, and none was on the seventh day. Here's what it says. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now, some of the people went out looking for manna on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day. And this is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So the Sabbath was already being kept long before the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus chapter 20. And then, of course, we find Jesus' statement in Mark 2.27 that says that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, the word man here is anthropos, which means human. So the Sabbath was given in Eden for all of humanity. 
Now our third question is, the Sabbath is new to me and I really can see from the Bible, but how do I keep the Sabbath holy? What do you do? Good question. You know, when it comes to Ten Commandments, we never really argue about how to keep most of them because it's pretty straightforward. For example, the commandment says, don't steal. Pretty straightforward, right? You just don't steal. How about don't murder? Well, again, don't murder. So when it comes to the Sabbath, it's not that complicated. The Sabbath commandment says two things. Number one, it says rest and it says don't work. Now, when we look at Jesus' example on how he spent the Sabbath, he spent the time in the synagogue, or we'd say church today. He visited the sick. He spent time with children. He prayed. He spent time focusing on God. And we see the same example from the apostles. The Sabbath is a time to spend with God. If what you're doing is enhancing that, great. If what you're doing is detracting from that, then it's probably not the best thing. Well, Rebecca, that's all the questions for tonight. Back to you. Thank you, Robbie. We really appreciate the time that you and Gary give to answering the questions. Now let's join John as he talks about tonight's topic, a matter of trust. Early this year, the Gallup organization announced that for the 18th year in a row, nurses ranked number one in their annual poll of most trusted professions. 85% of people said they trusted nurses. I don't know about the other 15%, what they had against nurses, but that's a pretty high approval rate. Second on that list, engineers, trusted by 66% of people. Then medical doctors, then pharmacists, and then dentists. Police were next. At the bottom of the list, car salespeople, trusted by less than one person in 10. Politicians were only just higher. Now, this particular poll didn't include firefighters. And many polls have shown that firefighters are the most trusted professionals globally. They are admired and appreciated. They are trusted. Thank you, firefighters. But it's not always easy to know who to trust or when to trust. Back in 1957, on the first day of April, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, announced that Swiss farmers were harvesting a bumper spaghetti crop. Footage was shown of Swiss people pulling spaghetti down out of trees. The BBC's viewers were impressed, and many of them called the BBC, asking how they could get their own spaghetti trees. The switchboard operators at the Beeb told callers to place a sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best. While we know that spaghetti is made from wheat and does not grow on trees, most British people at the time, remember 1957, didn't have a clue about spaghetti. It wasn't widely eaten in Britain at the time. And this was the BBC. The presenter was greatly respected. And remember what day this happened on? It was April Fool's Day. Fake news has become a thing in recent years. But fake news isn't new by any means. A challenge we have is that we are wired to believe, especially if the one doing the telling is someone we think we should believe in. In 1964, a 28-year-old bar manager was attacked and killed late one night in Queens, New York. That's the Unisphere you see there, and in the background, the old Shea Stadium. The New York Times reported that 38 people saw or heard the murder 
and did nothing. Other reports said that people stood by and watched the terrible crime take place right in front of their eyes and wouldn't make a move. It was called the crime that changed America. People were horrified by this. What in the world was the country coming to? And that, I think, was the right question to ask. What was America coming to? When a newspaper like the venerable New York Times could publish a story in which almost nothing was true. The one sad truth was that Kitty Genovese lost her life. But apart from that, there were not 38 witnesses to the murder. There were, in fact, none. Some neighbors did hear her cry out for help, but it was 3.30 in the morning. Most of those who heard didn't realize it was a cry for help. One man went to his window, shouted at the attacker, and the man actually got in his car and drove away. But he returned and, well, of course, it was a terrible tragedy. But the facts that are remembered today by millions of people simply are not fact. And that can happen. Deception isn't new and it's everywhere. In March of 2018, Richard Phillips walked out of a Michigan prison after spending 45 years behind bars for a crime he didn't commit. You see, a witness lied. Another man later admitted to having committed the crime. You want to be able to trust But we've learned that the people who call you from out of the blue and tell you there's money waiting for you, if you'll just send a couple of thousand dollars, scams every time. We've learned that when you get a bargain at a tourist market far from home, there's a very good chance you are wasting your money on a cheap imitation of the real thing. In 2009, the perpetrator of the largest financial fraud in American history was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Prosecutors say he defrauded people of almost $65 billion. People trusted he was handling their money right. He was not. Fortunes, life savings, lost. We are programmed to trust, which is why you believe a television report saying spaghetti grows on trees. And this happens in church, you know, and Jesus knew it. It's why he said in Matthew 24, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So how are we to handle that? I'll tell you. You check. You verify. Verify what you're told in church. Verify what you're told by well-meaning church members. We can't afford to be fooled. The Bible is the Word of God. Someone's opinion, a video on YouTube, that's not the Word of God. Read the Bible and believe that. How many wise men visited Jesus after he was born? How many? Let's count them. One, two. In actual fact, the Bible doesn't tell us. Where did they visit him? At the manger, right? Nope. At a house. Matthew 2 verse 11 says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. The wise men didn't arrive until after Jesus' birth. The animals went on the ark two by two, except, of course, they didn't. The unclean animals went on two by two, but the clean animals went on by sevens. Here's Genesis 7 and verse 2. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female. Two each of the animals that are unclean, a male and his female. But we get told things and we believe them to be true. People used to believe the earth is flat. Of course, there's no truth to that. People used to believe spiders have six legs. They have eight Contrary to popular belief, George Washington never did cut down a cherry tree. 
And Albert Einstein wasn't bad at mathematics. Have you ever taken a good long look at what you believe? Look at these two lines. Now tell me which one is longest. Of course, you're thinking the vertical line is longer than the horizontal line, when in actual fact, they are the same length. It's interesting that we can see something right in front of us and miss reality. Happens all the time. We can be fooled by what we see or by what we are told. Sometimes the facts are not what they appear. You might have seen an illusionist saw somebody in half, put the lovely assistant in a closet, turn the closet around, and the person is gone. But of course, they're only illusions. So what happens when things aren't as they appear in church? Can you imagine people being deceived in church? Well, we know it happens. The preacher claims to be healing people. He says there's a man with a brown jacket on. He has a heart condition. He should come forward for prayer because God wants to heal him. Well, it turns out there is a man wearing a brown jacket. He does have a heart condition. He does come forward for prayer. And the preacher knows this because his wife was back there speaking into a microphone, feeding the information into a monitor in his ear and telling him so. No, the man was not healed. but The people didn't know that. A 10-year-old boy and his dad wrote a book in which they described the boy visiting heaven after an accident. The young lad speaks of the wonders of what he saw and experienced. And then later, after the book had sold a million copies, it was admitted the story was a fabrication. I think we'd agree it's important to believe that many things are true. Unfortunately, though, many people are told things that are not true. Many believe God to be a tyrant. The Bible says God is love. You see, what we know is that there are spiritual forces in the world that want you to believe a lie. They want you to believe the wrong thing about God. We see this graphically illustrated. The book of Revelation talks about a time of real controversy in the end of time. It would especially affect Christians living in the latter days of Earth's history. Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Notice it says, which deceives the whole world. Now that would include you and me. So we would want to be alert and mindful and careful. What would Satan have to do to deceive someone? Well, he'd have to lead them away from the Bible. This book is our security. David said God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If we follow that, we're on the right path. John 8 says, if you continue, if you continue or abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is absolutely vital. Being able to trust God is vital. What if you couldn't trust God? And why do we think that we can Well, in Daniel chapter 2, God predicted the rise of four world-ruling kingdoms. A king had a dream. He dreamed of an image, a statue, an idol. The head was made of gold. The chest and arms were made of silver. The midsection was of brass. The feet were of iron and clay. And history bears out that what God predicted has really happened. The head of gold represented Babylon. We know that because Daniel said to the king, you are this head of gold. The chest and arms of silver represent Medo-Persia. And we know that because it says so in Daniel chapter 8. The midsection of brass, that's Greece. Daniel 8 names Greece as the next kingdom. Then the legs of iron, that's Rome. 
you read this amazing prophecy and you have to come to the conclusion that God can be trusted. In Matthew 24, Jesus gave a number of signs of his appearing. Those have been fulfilling. Many, many prophecies about Jesus have been fulfilled. Prophecies in the Psalms, in the book of Isaiah, in Zechariah, in other places. So we have good reason to trust God. But let me ask you, when you trust God, what's that going to look like? I can tell you I trust you, but if you cook me dinner and then I feed some of the food to your cat and wait to see if the cat survives or not before I eat, that would indicate that I don't really trust you. You know those group exercises where someone falls backwards and is caught in the arms of the rest of the group? What's that about? That's about trust. If one of the participants refuses to do that, it would seem that he or she doesn't trust that the rest of the group will catch him. What does trust look like when it comes to God? What would faith look like in today's challenging times? We right now are looking into the future. And for some people, it appears to be really bleak. People out of work, people sick and dying. People watching their businesses sit idle while the bills mount up. So what would faith look like for us? Of course, each person's situation differs, but let's consider some of the promises God makes. In Proverbs chapter 3, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. God says He'll direct you. And so you would then believe that he will. In fact, you'd expect that he will. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So faith would then believe that God would supply your needs. And in fact, faith would expect that God would supply your needs because God has said he would and you trust him. In fact, you can see this play out in many Bible stories. Now imagine this. As far as we can ascertain from the Bible, it had never rained, ever. No one had ever carried an umbrella. And God says to Noah, it's going to rain. Water will fall from the sky. In fact, a lot of water will cascade down out of the heavens. Noah believes God. Why wouldn't he? But then God says, Now, it isn't going to rain yet, not for many years. So in the meantime, I want you to build a very large boat. Noah had been told by God it was going to rain. We know from the story that people didn't believe Noah. So as the world watches on, Noah builds a boat, an ark, as we refer to it. You can imagine the ridicule. Rain, Noah. We haven't had rain around here since, well, since never. But Noah went right ahead and he built the ark. Why was that? Because God had spoken to him and he believed God. And then he demonstrated that belief, that trust by acting on what God said. It's going to rain. And I believe God. And even though there has never been rain before, and even though virtually everyone alive thinks I'm out of my mind, I will go ahead and build an ark. Then he took it a step further, went out and gathered animals, two of the unclean, seven of the clean. And they came to the ark and got on board. And that's because when you trust God, you're willing to act upon what he says. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned of things not yet seen, divinely warned, 
moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah believed God and demonstrated that belief by acting on what God said. That was faith. That was trust. Now, I'll give you an example of trust and distrust. God had angels speak to Lot, who lived in Sodom. The angels said, God is going to destroy these cities, leave, get out of town, and when you do, don't look back. So Lot gathered his family, and they left, and they didn't look back. Jude verse 7 says that Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around about them suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. But there was one exception, someone who evidently didn't really trust God. God had told them all, don't look back. But Mrs. Lot, Mrs. Lot looked back behind and she became a pillar of salt. Those who trusted God acted on what he said. Mrs. Lot, different story. Hebrews 11 is known as the Bible's faith chapter. In verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. God had told Joshua to walk with his army around Jericho once a day for six days. On the seventh day, God said, You shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And the wonder of it all is that's exactly what Joshua and the people did. Can you imagine being told to do that? And then actually doing that? If I told, if I told you to walk around your local Walmart each day, then seven times on a certain day, and then blow a ram's horn and shout, and that when you did the whole place would fall over flat, you would think I'd lost it. But when God told Joshua to lead his armies to do just that, they did it. Why would that be? Because Joshua trusted God. And why was that? Because Joshua had got to know God, and he knew that when God spoke, the best thing he could do would be to follow God's leading. I'll give you another example. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham lived in a place called Ur, down near the Persian Gulf in southern Iraq. That's what we call it today. God said to him, Abraham, it's time for you to leave. Where am I going? I can't tell you, God says, but I will lead you. You just follow me and I will lead you to where you're going. And Abraham followed God. He didn't even know where he was going, but he knew that God was leading and that was enough. That's trust. That's faith. It's not just that he didn't know where he was going. He left his home, his extended family, his livelihood. He left it all to follow a God he couldn't see to a place he didn't even know of. Ah, but this wasn't a God Abraham didn't know, and that's significant. But as you know, it gets even deeper for Abraham. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, 
from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This is a remarkable story. A devout believer of God is asked by God to do something that only a pagan would do. To sacrifice your son. Unfathomable. But Abraham knew that God was asking him to do this. And so he trusted God and his trust in God was vindicated. Now, word of caution, people have done some regrettable things because they thought God was asking them to do so. Could be because of a couple of reasons. Could be uh, emotional instability or could be because that person didn't really know God and was misled. Abraham knew God. And that close relationship with God led him to trust God and willingly do what he was asked. You know, the once popular psychologist, Dr. Joyce Brothers, TV personality, author, columnist, she got a PhD from Columbia University. She once said, the best proof of love is trust. Abraham loved God and so he trusted God. The same was true for Noah and Gideon. Gideon started with an army of 32,000. And even with that army, he was hopelessly outnumbered. But by the time God was done with Gideon's army, there were only 300 soldiers left. And God said, now with 300 men, go fight the Midianites. And Gideon did just that. It was a suicide mission, except that he knew God was with him. When he knew it was God making the request, he trusted God and followed God's leading. Now, let's see if we can follow God's leading. Like Noah, we don't want to be sidetracked by the crowd. We can't be led to look back, even if family members want to look back. We want God to be our guide. Now, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now that's the fourth commandment. And why did God give it to the human family? He knew we would need time out from the busyness of life. He knew we'd need to connect with each other. He knew people would need time to connect with God. And he gave the Sabbath as a memorial, a memorial of creation and a sign of God's power to create and recreate. In the little town where I grew up, there's a war memorial. In fact, on that war memorial are the names of those from our town who died serving their country. That memorial called us to remember what these men had done. That's what memorials do. They call us to to remember important things and important people, important relationships. God gave us the seventh-day Sabbath as a memorial, calling us to keep forever in mind that he is our creator and recreator. And it shouldn't surprise anyone that this sign of God's creative power, this sign of his ownership of the world, would come under dispute The Sabbath encourages us to spend time with God and to remember our relationship with Him. God gave the Sabbath to the human family back at creation. It wasn't only Jewish. It was given more than 2,000 years before the first Jew existed. God's people kept the Sabbath as they wandered in the wilderness, when they settled in the promised land. And when Jesus was on earth, He and His followers did the same. Today, more than ever, we should see the value of rest, 
of coming aside, of stepping back, of making more room in our lives for what really matters. This was a gift given by a God who knew what he was doing, by a God who loves communion and fellowship. God evidently craves spending time with us. Think about that. What does that tell you about God? He has a universe so vast we can't comprehend, and yet he delights to to spend time with us. That's fantastic. So if the Sabbath was changed, that'd be colossal. You remember that in the Bible, they accused Jesus and his disciples of failing to give the Sabbath proper respect. They were furious to the extent they wanted to kill Jesus for that. Can you imagine if all of a sudden a sect rose up and ignored the Sabbath altogether in that environment? That would be huge. There would have been a civil war, you would think. So one would think that if God's own law was going to be changed, if there was going to be some sort of constitutional amendment regarding the Ten Commandments, the Bible would have to say something about it. God says to us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What do we say about that? It's clear. You find it in the Bible. Easy. But the reality is not everyone is enthusiastic about that. Not everyone in your family might be supportive of that. It might even be that where you worship, people don't agree with God on this one, even though it's right here in the Bible. Today, most people would think of the Sabbath as the Christian day of rest. They would think of it as Sunday. But is Sunday in the Bible as a holy day? The truth is, no, it's not. If Sunday really is the Christian day of rest, then the Bible would definitely say so. But in the New Testament, Sunday's hardly mentioned. The Sabbath is mentioned many times. But Sunday? Look at this, John 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, now that's Sunday, when the, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. There was a gathering for what reason? For fear of the Jews, certainly not to celebrate the resurrection. They didn't believe the resurrection had even taken place. In 1 Corinthians 16, we read this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, Sunday, lead each one of you, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. No, this wasn't anything to do with taking an offering in church. Paul asked believers in Corinth to put money aside every first day of the week, for believers suffering due to a time of famine and hardship. This was a collection being taken up for other believers who were struggling financially. And when I say collection, when Paul sent somebody, he would collect the money that people had set aside at home. Paul says, after the Sabbath is over, decide what you can spare for fellow believers. And you'll notice he was writing to the Corinthians. What did Paul do when he was with the Corinthians? Acts 18 tells us, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. While he was in Corinth, Paul kept the Sabbath. He sure wasn't going to write to them and say, You can forget about it now. In Acts 20, we find a situation where Paul had just traveled from Philippi to Troas. It says in the Bible, Now on the first day of the week, Sunday again, When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, 
spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. The moral of the story is, don't fall asleep in church. They were having a preaching service on the first day. They broke bread. They did that just about every day, not just the Sabbath day. This was Paul's last day with them, which is why he preached so long. He eats, sleeps, and then the next day walks 14 miles to catch a ship. When did he do this? If it was nighttime, and if it was the first day of the week, this was Saturday night. How do we know that? Because in the Bible, a day is measured from sunset to sunset. After the sun sets, a new day begins from a biblical vantage point. So it's the first day, and it's dark, that's Saturday night. Sunday night would have been the second day of the week. So on Saturday night, Paul preaches, Eutychus falls out of church, and the next day, Sunday, Paul walks more than a half marathon to go and catch a boat. This doesn't show Sunday as sacred. It shows the opposite. The Sabbath day points us to Jesus, the one who created this earth back in the beginning. Why would we want to forget that? In these final days of earth's history, there's a call to worship him. Revelation 14, the final gospel message to go to the world says, worship him who made heaven and earth the seas, and the fountains of waters. That's a call to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In fact, the angel there in Revelation 14 uses the same language as used in the Sabbath commandment. It's clear that God is calling us back to something we've forgotten to remember. Where else do you read about it in the Bible? New Testament, Luke 4.16. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. You can read in Matthew 24 where Jesus explicitly said the Sabbath would be kept after he died and went to heaven. Pray that your flight would not be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. That's what Jesus said. Looking ahead 40 years, Jesus was talking about something long after his death. And he said that in that day, God's day would still be important. You read in Revelation 1.10, the Lord has a day. And you read in the Bible where the disciples certainly could not have changed the Sabbath day. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You see, what makes it important is that it's important to God. God gave it. Jesus observed it. Jesus showed it's important to him. If it's important to Jesus, it's got to be important to us. Imagine Jesus dying on the cross and saying, This is important to me. Wouldn't it then be important to you? So I think what we need to wrestle with is this change. How did the change come about? If the Bible doesn't sanction the change, who did? Well, I can tell you the change happened gradually. In the fourth century, the emperor of the Roman Empire was a man named Constantine. His empire was fractured. And as part of an effort to unite his empire, He passed a law that sought to unite everyone religiously. Here's part of an edict he issued. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let shops be closed. 
a commandment of God was changed by the government of the Roman Empire in an effort to unite pagans and Christians in Constantine's kingdom. It wasn't changed by Jesus. It wasn't changed by his disciples. A gradual change took place. And this then entered into the practice of the church of the day. Eventually, the modern church claimed the credit for making the change. From a church teaching book, we read this. Question, which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Here's the answer. Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now, I'm not saying this with criticism in my heart. This is simply a matter of the historical record. But does any church have the authority to change God's law? No. But down through the years, owing largely to the influence of tradition, this practice became entrenched in Christianity. In a book called Catholicism and Fundamentalism, written by Carl Keating, a former lawyer, a man with a JD at least, very smart fellow, you read on page 38, fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday. Yet there is no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath or day of rest was, of course, Saturday. He says, it was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. Now, let me let me mention this to you. The Bible nowhere says we should honor the resurrection by changing the Sabbath day. Baptism signifies the resurrection. The Lord's Supper, we show forth his death and resurrection. But if you think, I keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection, there is no biblical support for that at all. One cardinal said this, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures, he said, enforce the religious observance of Saturday. You find that in a book called The Faith of Our Fathers. And that's where Sunday came from. Did it come from the Bible? No. Instead, it slipped into the church through the back door into Christianity and it came from tradition. Are all traditions bad things? No. Thanksgiving in the United States, that's a good tradition. Anzac Day in Australia and New Zealand, that's a good tradition. In Britain and other countries, the Boxing Day holiday, December 26th, that's a tradition and a good one. But a tradition that usurps the place of a commandment of God, it's not hard to see problems there. Now, I know that sometimes this question can come close to a person, but the answer really isn't difficult. Who made us? Jesus. Who suffered for us? Jesus. Who died for us? Jesus. Who rose for us? Jesus. Who has redeemed us? Jesus has. When you trust him, you desire to accept him into your heart, there isn't anything you wouldn't surrender to him. Trust is a really good demonstration of love. So we have to ask ourselves what the foundation of our faith is. And will we settle on what God says or on what people say? Sometimes it isn't easy to see something because of our history or because of what we see other people doing. Remember, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. What's faith? Relying on the word of God, trusting it will do what it says it will do because it's the word of God. Remember what Jesus said, John 14, 15. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. So the one who is moved by love for God is going to want to live for the one who died for us. Here's where we see the importance of faith. That Joyce Brothers quote rings in my ears. The best proof of love is trust. Revelation 14, 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. What do they do? Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This isn't a matter of days. It's a matter of surrender. Now, someone's going to tell you, you can pick whatever day you like, as though the seventh commandment is up for grabs too, and you can pick whatever person you like. Isn't that something like what happened in the Garden of Eden? Eve, you can eat from whatever tree you want. It's the same thing. I was driving on a freeway one morning and I realized I was going to be in a bit of trouble. I had to return a rental car, then catch the shuttle to the airport, which was all good, except time was a little bit tight and I couldn't remember where the rental car place was. I knew what to do. I called my wife. I said, here's where I am. Here's where I'm going. Please find where I am. Find where I'm going on the map and then direct me to the rental car place. She said, all right, I see you. Well, I see on the map about where you are. I see where the rental car place is. She said, keep on going and then get ready to take a left. But that would be to turn south. And the rental car agency was to the north. And everyone knows that would necessitate a right turn. So I checked with Melissa. Are you sure? She said, yes. You need to take a left turn on the certain road. I said, the sign says that road is coming up in one mile. I don't have much time. I need you to find that right turn I need because I can't afford to drive miles out of my way. Calmly, she said, take the left turn, John. I said, are you sure? She said, you're forgetting something. I can see the big picture. Ah, so I took the left turn, drove about a quarter of a mile. And what do you know? The road turned off to the right, came right back around, went north and took me straight to my destination. My wife had saved the day. Again, she could see the big picture. It's the same in our relationship with God. God can see the big picture, the big picture, encompassing eternity, encompassing real faith. Today, you'll hear voices telling you to do this or believe that. But the voice to listen to is the voice of God. Following the leading of God, that's what we call faith. It's trust, like Noah building that ark. Even when it might seem unlikely, you can trust God with everything. Jesus is going to return to this earth. We think that's going to be soon, but we freely admit we don't know how soon soon is. But whenever Jesus comes back, we want him dwelling in us living in us, doing heaven's will in our lives. Remember Joshua's words, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When Jesus has your life, he's going to live in you more and more and more. You'll grow and you can trust God with your whole heart. Trust God with your whole life. That trust will be demonstrated like it was in Abraham's day, in Gideon's day. When Jesus comes back, what a day. And I want to give you the opportunity tonight to make a decision for Jesus, to make a decision for eternity. Jesus trusted his father as he died on the cross. We can trust our heavenly father as we live on this earth. What an incredible program. So many people have said to me over the years that after reading the Bible, they always thought that the Bible Sabbath was the seventh day or Saturday. 
but they always wondered why Christians go to church on Sunday or the first day of the week. Well, John has made it very clear for us tonight that it wasn't God that changed, but humans. Now, in view of tonight's program, Pastor Bradshaw wants us to give our viewers the opportunity to make decisions for Christ. But before we make that decision together, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are unchanging. Thank you for your love for each one of us and your mercy. Bless us now. Bless our viewers in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want you to do tonight is I want you to pick up your phone. We want to get a decision card to you. And we're going to do that using text messaging. I want you to text the code word LOVE. If you're in Australia, text it to 0428 386 If you're in Australia, text the code word LOVE to 0428 386 If you're in New Zealand, text the same code word LOVE to the number 875. Again, if you're in New Zealand, text the code word LOVE to 875. When you receive the reply from us, you're going to get a link to a decision card. So click on the link and it will take you to a card that's going to ask you for some details, but at the bottom of the card, there are going to be five questions for you to respond to. Here's question number one. Number one, I choose Jesus to be my Lord and personal Savior. If that's your desire tonight after hearing the program so far, then I want you to check that box number one. The second question there is, I want to live my life according to God's will. If that's your desire, then check box number two. And our third question is, I choose to worship Him that made heaven and earth by keeping the seventh day Sabbath. If that's your desire tonight, to keep the seventh day Sabbath, check box number three. And our next question is, I would like more information on this subject. And our last question there on the decision card for tonight is, I have some questions I would like to discuss. Whichever one of those decisions is your decision tonight, check the box, fill out the details, and click Submit. And someone will get in touch with you as soon as possible. Well, that's all for tonight's program from my point of view, Rebecca. How about the free gifts and offers tonight? Thanks, Robbie. What an amazing program. So clear and so helpful. Now, to get tonight's great study guide, just go to hopeawakens.com.au and click on the free offer button and take it from there. Well, that's it for tonight. Make sure you join us this coming Friday night, same time, same place, for another incredible program, Beyond the Light. Sounds fascinating indeed. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you on Friday. Good night.